runasradio.com. You're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell and Greg Hughes. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 213 with guest Mitch Garvis, recorded Thursday, May 19th, 2011. Run As Radio is produced each week by Pwop Productions, providing professional media and podcasting services online at pwop.com. You can follow the boys on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hey, this is Richard Campbell from Run As Radio. I'm at TechEd in Atlanta and bumped into my friend Mitch Garvis. Hi, Mitch. How are you? I'm great. How are you doing, Rich? Ah, crazy tech ad as usual, right? We're doing 64-bit questions, speaker idle, all that nuttiness. I was watching speaker idle and I was saying to myself, you know what? Maybe I should submit Nah. <laughs> yeah, you, you've spoken to Tech Ed before, haven't you? Uh, I've uh, co-presented at Tech Ed, but I've done every other technical session in the in North sure. America. And it, it's a tough show to get into. No two ways about it. I haven't applied. Yeah. I, I you know what? Every time they send it to me, I'm just too busy, and I say, okay, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. I'll get. To it. Deadline was yesterday. Oh no. Yeah. So what are you doing at Tech Ed? Well, I am doing a lot of different things. First of all, I'm. I'm helping to man the booth for Windows Springboard. I'm part of the Springboard Technical right. Experts panel, and we're talking about all the good deployment uh, opportunities and optimized desktop that we've talked about over the years. Mm-hmm. I'm also networking a lot and seeing people who I can help out with their story, and some of them can help me out. Mm-hmm. Doing a lot of, you know, I do a lot of virtualization, especially VMware Compete stuff right. for Hyper-V and Microsoft Canada. So I'm doing a lot of that, networking with the with the right people, making sure that they know that you know there is another alternative to the old trusty nobody ever gets fired for buying VMware story. Right, right. Hyper-V has come a long way. I think 2008 R2 was a big release for Hyper-V. R2 was great, but SP1 of R2 really was the equalizer. And now when I get up in front of an audience and say, you know what? We can compete with VMware on technology. Now it's just going to be a question of price. Right. And they say, wow, hold on a second. This is free. What's the catch? Yeah. Well, and it's not really free. You do have to buy Windows licenses. Well, that's not true because, uh, first of all, if you are installing the virtual machines, sure, you have to buy Windows licenses, but you have to buy that for VMware as well. Sure. Now, if you want to just talk about the hypervisor, the virtualization layer, Mm -hmm. just like uh, VMware has ESXi, Microsoft has Hyper-V Server 2008 R2 Service Pack 1, which is completely free, costs nothing, download it, agree to the end-user license agreement, and unlike our esteemed competitors... Even though you're buying the free product, you can still do failover clustering, live migration, uh, high availability. All of that's available in our free product. Wow. And, and I guess that's always been the thing. VMware was the live migration king, and it's only been the latest version where live migration has come to Hyper-V. Well, that came out in 2008 R2, yeah. and everybody said, okay, we, you know what, since Hyper-V came out, We've still had, okay, well, it's nice, but it doesn't have this. Right. And that list of what they don't have has gotten so much smaller over the years. <laughs> Live migration was a huge one. Sure. And that was a hurdle. Dynamic memory or memory over commit was another huge mm-hmm. one. And now we've got dynamic memory and live migration. And what's missing now? Yeah, I guess that's the question. What is missing? Well, uh, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what I tell all of the partners. 
If you, as a VMware professional, have a question about something that VMware does that Microsoft doesn't, I'm going to be honest about it. Yeah. But I'm not going to give it to you. <laughs> you got to tell me, Mitch. What is it? Well, it's um, it's a lot of prices and a lot of very expensive ongoing platinum expenses and a lot of this won't work on the hardware that I want. You have to buy their specific hardware. Really? All of that is is native to our competition. But if your system runs Windows Server, your system will run Hyper-V. Nice. And I have been bitten by the AMD Intel issue. Yeah. That- and that's something, think about it. Think about it in the physical world. Imagine trying to take a physical server, and even if you could do it at the speed of light, yanking out the Intel processor and putting an AMD processor into it, it doesn't work. No. When the operating system turns on, it's invisible to us, but AMD and Intel are not the same. No. And Microsoft Windows is programmed for that. It's one of the few things that happens when you turn on the system. If you're Intel, it loads the Intel kernel. And if you're AMD, it loads the AMD kernel. Right. And that has to be done at startup. So there is no way to go between the two. Right. Now, we do have a few years ago Intel. There's also the the story that if you have a five-year-old Intel chip versus a, a, a newer Intel chip, there was no live migration. Intel and AMD worked together for a, for a feature called EVC or enhanced vMotion compatibility. Right. Microsoft Hyper-V has that built in as well. We don't call it EVC. We call it, uh, something, something else, mm-hmm. but it's there. And unlike VMware where it's per host, ours is per guest. So you can have several virtual machines on the same host or the same cluster that do need it and some that don't need it. So that if you try to migrate to a machine, that needs those signatures that aren't masked. Right. It will be able to block those, or you can you can do both. Okay. And and it's not that you can't migrate; is that you can't do live migration. That's right. Now that's a very important point. People look at me and say, "I can't put the two in the same failover cluster." That's not true. Failover is when host one goes down. It literally falls off. It uh, it either stopped working. You pull out the network plug. All of a sudden, the virtual machines start in a dirty boot on your second node of the cluster. Right. It's restarted the virtual machine, so it's going to at that moment in time reload the proper chipset instruction set. Right. And and, and of course, the reality is that for virtual machines to run fast, they have to be tuned for that chipset. Exactly. You can't run in a, you, I mean, actually there is a switch in, in, in SCVMM to say, hey, run this in the neutral mode and it just runs it slowly. That's right. But that's, that's where you need to mask the instruction sets and it's hobbling it. So it, ho- it makes it run a little bit slower, but it still has full functionality. Imagine you have a, a, a physical machine and I see this all of the time in partners. They say, you know what? I have all of these machines that I want to virtualize, but I have that NT 4.0 box in the corner, and I keep buying parts off of eBay because... Trying to keep it alive. Exactly. And I tried to virtualize it, and it doesn't work. Well, in Hyper-V, you can set it to uh, allow this virtual machine to uh, operate older operating systems such as NT. Right. And the new features in the chipset, you can't run it. You can't install no. NT on an i7 uh, core chip because no. it doesn't work. But this will allow it to work. It just runs it in abstraction mode. Exactly. And I would say that's one of the best things about virtualization is picking up those, putting that old hardware to bed. I can't shut down this service. Every time I turn it off, people freak out. But... And it's no, you know, there's no replacement for it, but I fear the hardware. Love those little VMs. And it seems like we have a, you know, a dozen big VMs and like 20 of these little 
sort of orphan VMs. You know, once in a while, or not so not so uh, rarely, I see clients who have physical servers that they want to virtualize, but they don't. They they've had this server creep happen, mm-hmm. and they literally have servers that they don't know what they do. Yeah, and I tell them, look, in that case, you can literally shut down the server. Wait until somebody calls and complains. Now you know what the server does. <laughs> They're afraid to do that with those old NT boxes because it may not come back on. May up. not turn back on again. So this is the the great the the great thing about this is we can do a P2V migration, hobble the chipset, and still allow it to function. And your your NT users are still going to be fine. And typically, it it runs much faster than the old hardware. It always does. Yeah. Even if we're hobbling the i7 core chipset, right. it's still better than a Pentium 3. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know about you, but I think P2V is voodoo. It's so when When you run P2V and it switches over, if you blink, you miss it. You don't even know it switched. Everything's just running fine, except you go back and see the old server's now off. You know, there are so many different ways of doing P2V, and there it, it can be as automated as that, or... If you want to go with the the poor man's version, there are tools that you're going to shut down the server or you're going to uh, just literally use a free tool such as disk to VHD to copy the hard drive and then build a virtual machine around it. That's right. P2V as well. But if you want to use the SCVMM uh, migration tool or if you want to use something like PlateSpin Migrate, exactly. It makes the copy. It makes the virtual machine. It then copies all of the hard drive over. It copies all of the deltas and then poof, it's gone. It was there. Now it's there. Yeah. It's just boo- yeah it is voodoo. Yeah. Uh, what is your preferred hardware for running a virtual machine hosts? You know, that is a great question, and I'm going to give you what I call the universal consultant's answer. <laughs> it depends. <laughs> I am fortunate enough to have a great relationship with HP, right? and I absolutely love my ProLiant servers mm-hmm. and my DL580s. G, I think we're at G7 now. Right. Run great on SAS hard drive. I've got a beautiful HP virtual storage appliance mm-hmm. that's running all of my iSCSI target for me. But what, but that's right for me. Right. And, and, and I'm not even worried about the brand per se. I'm just saying architecturally, you like the i7s? Look, newer is always better. Right. Uh, there's for, for processors, newer is always better. And Mitch's rule number 11 is more spindles equals more speed equals more better. Yes. And you prefer iSCSI as the, as the drive architecture? You know, I would love to say fiber channel is the way to go. But it's the benefits for the cost is not always going to be there. Right. In fact, for a lot for larger organizations, uh, fiber channel may be the solution. But they, you know what, iSCSI works almost as well. And there's some great for smaller businesses who can't necessarily who can't necessarily afford a uh, a full thirty thousand dollars SAN appliance. There are virtual solutions, such as the Microsoft Software iSCSI target that right. was just released. That's free. You can build a server for a couple of thousand dollars, throw a ton of spindles in there, and boom, you've got an iSCSI software target. Right, and for a lot less money. Exactly. I mean, just basically paying for the drives. Yeah. The only thing that I found with Fiber Channel uh, that yeah, keeps me using it is it is wh- is typically in the database scenario. That continuous live replication of data to a different site, I can run a fiber channel line three or four kilometers to a remote site, and it's real time. And in so many environments, that is going to be critical. Yeah. Maybe 5% of organizations are going to use that technology. Well, and, and then I say absolutely fiber channel. That's the only, that's the only thing I found yeah. that every other time it seems like iSCSI is the right choice for this. And by the way, now with fiber channel over Ethernet, 
It's even advanced that uh, one step further. Mm -hmm. But is it worth the cost for your organization? For you, yes. For you, no. Right. Well, and I think if you're not doing that, why are you paying for this? Exactly. And and what, what I find more interesting is I found companies that are doing that, but have no SLA requirements for that level of reliability. You know, people spend so much money because this, a salesman told them or they heard technological or, or the CIO heard at the golf course that they need it. Right. Why do you need uh, uh, storage vMotion? Because somebody told me, I need, do you ever use storage vMotion? No. No. But, but I, I paid, paid for it. it. Because I needed it. <laughs> but do you use it? No. So they pay for things that they don't need. They, they I, I hear people say, I bought this server in anticipation of doing something four or five years from now. Well, four or five years from now, you're migrating onto a newer server. Yeah. You're retiring that older server. Yeah. So why? Why would you, why would you still be running that server? It's 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 a very interesting thinking that goes into some of this stuff. And I think people tend to overbuy. I, I also find they've never translated what this infrastructure means to the business. That's the right. They said, "Hey, you know, this fifty thousand dollars solution." guarantees that every single transaction is replicated into a remote location. So if this site burns down, we've not lost nothing. This $10,000 solution, we'd lose five minutes of data or 15 minutes of you data. You know what? If you are American Express and your data... And a lot of this came out of 9-11. Mm-hmm. If your, rep, if your uh, disaster recovery data center is in Tower 1 yeah. as opposed to Tower 2, you lost millions of dollars and you were bitten and every minute you're down is millions of dollars. Right. You are now going to build that. Most companies don't do that. And you mentioned a really interesting word. You said companies overbuy. Mm-hmm. There used to be the this truism or adage that it is better to overbuy than underbuy. Mm-hmm. Well, when it's hundreds of thousands of dollars, wouldn't you rather spend a couple of thousand dollars on a consultant, an architect consultant who's going to give you a second opinion and say, well, let's tweak this and write by? Yeah, buy what you actually need. Exactly. Well, I think, and the bigger thing, the thing that's disturbing to me is you own this 100% uptime solution, but you've got a bunch of other pieces in the equation that aren't that kind of uptime, and you end up losing things anyway. Penny smart and pound foolish. It's very interesting to go through the architectural process and say, what does 100% uptime really look like? How do yeah. I get to five nines? But the most important thing is what's the difference between five nines and three nines. Right. And people don't realize that, first of all, that is literally a difference of 16 minutes per year. Yeah. And second of all, look, there's no company in the world that it's going to cost six, or there are few companies that need the five nine up. And I love dealing with companies. I, I do a lot of work with the Microsoft partner community. Mm-hmm. And although a lot of them say they want five nines, they really want to pay for nine fives. <laughs> so finding a solution in between. Finding the right solution sure. for them is so important. Getting them the solution that does everything, not everything, everything that they need, that their SLA says, with the, with the IT department says, we have to be able to deliver this. Right. Once you have that, you're going to have a lot more relaxed IT managers and CIOs and CFOs who are a lot happier because their budgets are going to go down. Well, and the other issue part about the five nines thing is the internet's not five nines. Of course not. So as soon as you go to the internet and involved in any app, and what app hasn't got the internet involved in it, you're done anyway. You know, gone are the days that UU Net's going down and the entire East Coast is offline. That's but right. You know what? Or the supercomputing center in Urbana would split. Right? The switch <laughs> right. would fail, and there'd be two internets. Yeah. <laughs> I, re- you know what? I go into customers today who say we have a c- complete failover solution. I said, really? How many internet connections do you have? They said two. 
I said, really, what companies are they? And I was at one in Canada. One of them was Bell and one of them was Reliant. Nice. Reliance of uh, Bell reseller. Well, yeah. And they were going, they had, they were paying for two lines into the building, but if one goes down, the other one's down. The other one goes down. I, I had a situation, two totally separate connections. One was the cable company, one was the, was the telco. Both wires went down the same pole. Truck backed into the pole, no internet. Thanks <laughs> People, for playing. Ex- exactly. You know, you want to plan for five lines, you can plan for it. Are you going to get it? It's gonna. You're, you, first, you better pr- be prepared to pay for your own fiber and bury it underground. Mm-hmm. And even then, there's going to be an earthquake once in a while. Yeah, it's going to be backhoe fade. That's right. You know these things. These things happen. It's yeah. a very interesting struggle. And, and uh, I think most people just aren't writing the SLAs. But I want to jump back to virtualization a bit because I think sure. I think we are still in that heyday part of virtualization where we're you know trying to hit it. It's the hammer, and we're hitting every nail we can find. Yeah. Uh, have you looked at a lot of folks, the kind of SLAs they're writing around their virtualization implementations? You know, it's amazing. All sorts of companies are out there saying, we, we want to virtualize. What do we want to virtualize? We want to virtualize everything. Yeah. Not every physical server is a good virtualization candidate. I agree. And there are some great tools out there that are going to tell you, even a free tool such as the Microsoft Assessment and Planning Toolkit mm-hmm. is going to tell you, hey, this server is running an i7 with 64 gigabytes of RAM. It's got four dedicated 10 gig NICs, and it's running at 85% capacity. What are you going to virtualize that onto? <laughs> Are there, are we underutilizing the vast majority of our servers? Absolutely. Sure. Does that mean we should virtualize all of our servers? No. Remember, whether you're virtualizing onto Microsoft or VMware, you are limited to the number of virtual CPUs that you can assign to a machine. If you're using those four or eight or 16, uh, quad core CPUs at 85%, don't virtualize. Yeah, not, nothing good will happen. That's right. And I, I do think you still have a certain number of bare metal servers that are just... Ty- and you're going to have to. Typically databases. Databases, absolutely. Uh, are big be- OLAP queues. Yeah. Even big exchange installs I've seen where it's like, virtualization is not going to buy us anything here. Well, you know, the, thing, the funny thing about exchange, I have a great story about exchange where one client that I was virtualizing their, their infrastructure. I spoke to their, their SharePoint administrator. Okay. I spoke to their active directory administrator. Okay. Their exchange administrator. Don't touch my servers. I have benchmarks and it needs all 16 cores and it needs all 64 gigabytes of RAM. And if you touch anything, I'm going to know. So one weekend I virtualized it and I gave it 64 gigabytes of RAM. Right. Four virtual CPUs. Yeah. And over the course of a six-month period, I gradually got that down to 16 gigabytes of RAM on two virtual CPUs. And when I went down to one virtual CPU, he came to me and said, you virtualized it over the weekend. I see. Here's the, the difference in my performance between last week, uh, b- between, uh, last week, six months ago, which were the same. And today, there's a 5% difference. I need that 5% back. Nice. And it was only when you got them down to two cores or one core <laughs> one, and 60 gigs of RAM. Exactly. <laughs> Talk about over-provisioned. Well, but so many of our servers are over-provisioned, and we have to respect the fact that, look, Gordon Moore was right. Mm -hmm. Our servers, our CPUs are a lot more powerful than they ever were, and they're going to continue getting more powerful. For a long time, our developers were 
taking advantage of that and programming less efficiently. Mm-hmm. But the CPU, even that has, has outpaced CPUs have outrun that. them. Exactly. And now that we see so many more developers who are programming more efficiently according to best practices and getting it right, we have that double savings. Sure. And our, C- our servers, even we, we have so many uh, experts, exchange experts, SharePoint experts, uh, server experts who say, this is what we need because this is what we needed six months ago and six years ago. We'd have to educate them and say, look, the world has changed. And they don't like hearing that. But if we can educate them, they're going to come back and they're going to be, they're going to be convinced because we can show them benchmarks. My, my biggest evangelist in the world for virtualization is that exchange administrator who came at me. I thought he was going to come at me with a butcher knife. (laughs) What do you think about virtualization in the cloud? We start pushing our VMs up to a service. Well, first of all, let's be clear that the cloud is not new. Right. Everybody who says we're now moving to the cloud, dude, you have a Hotmail account. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's been, I mean, we've been doing cloud computing for for well, and a a lot of stuff has been thrown under the cloud moniker. Exactly. Salesforce is now a cloud app, but for a long time it was an ASP. It's a good thing that they changed it from being what it was to what it is. Yeah. There was no change in the technology; they just changed the name. It's a new name. Everything that we do. By definition, by my definition, the cloud is working on a machine that we can't put our fingers on. Right. Everything in virtualization is that. Do your virtualization hosts have keyboards, mice, and monitors? No. Are they sitting under your desk? Are they sitting in your closet? They may be in a data center downstairs. They may be uh, at the corner of, of walk and don't walk. Wherever you're putting your servers, That your virtual machines are a cloud, public cloud, private cloud. A lot of the issue is going to be uh, your SLA and your proprietary requirements. I have a lot of customers who cannot use certain public clouds because they cross international borders. Right. That's a huge concern. As long as you have a cloud provider that you can trust, that has a proven track record, that has been providing uh, the infrastructure and has a solid and stable infrastructure, and by the way, who is ready to say to you, you know what, let me bring you down to my data center. Here's my data center in Virginia. Let me show, uh, we have a uh, camera to our data center, which is mirrored in Las Vegas, so we have the full failover. Right. If they're not willing to show you their their infrastructure, what's up their sleeves? Yeah. I want to make sure that I know where my data is or who has my data at any given time. I won't deal with or I won't recommend cloud providers who subcontract, for example. But even when you talk about the big boys, you talk about Microsoft and Amazon, they still have outages. They do. And more importantly, they also have data centers in certain countries. Right. If you're in the EU, you can't use a lot of the, if you're a publicly traded company in the EU, you are required to use European servers. Right. Well, Microsoft has a data center there now. Ireland. But they don't in Canada. Right. So if you're a Canadian government, you cannot use the Microsoft cloud. Yeah, there isn't a service. Exactly. So uh, you look at certain countries where they're not allowed to offer the service, or they can't offer, uh, we're, we're getting beyond the scope, but where they can't offer the uptime that they want to offer, mm-hmm. so they don't they, they, they don't offer the offering. Yeah. Well, and I, and I think... Most regular IT folks don't, aren't necessarily bound by those regulatory requirements. It's just certain markets. Most aren't, but you know, there we have to be clear that everyone is or can be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. 
uh, a few weeks ago, Sony was hacked. Sony was hacked using rented Amazon servers. Wow. So who's who are you going to trust? Make sure that it's somebody that you can trust and that you can put your fingers and that you can work with. Well, you got to think that's a good service that Amazon's providing that even the hackers will use it. That's, that's right. <laughs> and, you know, I, I that, there's another point. Even the, Even if they do have outages, there is a acceptable level of risk. Yeah. What is your tolerance for outages? What is your tolerance? I can build you a house that is absolutely impenetrable. You cannot, nobody can get in or out. The problem is neither can I. Right. Nobody can get how in or out. How much do you want to spend and how much are you going to inconvenience your users right. by implementing what level of service and security? Sure. What do you need? Can you afford some uptime? Every time I quote a client on five nines, they say, wow, can we talk about four nines and three nines and two nines? Yes. And all of a sudden, it's a different conversation. Yeah. No, I think the dollars is what makes the most sense. And that's one of the things that was interesting to me about virtualization in the cloud is this, just paying for what you use, you know, that, and really having a clear monthly cost to over provisioning. Isn't it great that we're, that we're diminishing our capex or capital expenditure right. while we increase our opex, our yes. operational expenditure? That's not a bad thing. That doesn't mean you're firing IT professionals. That means that you are able to scale up or by the way down. Mm -hmm. And if you buy, if you buy a hundred servers, uh, on Tuesday and on Friday realize you now only need 97 of them, Dell, HP, Lenovo, H I IBM aren't going to say, okay, well, let me give you your money back. Yeah. Well, you're paying for what you're using and you can scale that up or down as you need. Yeah. The dynamic scalability of the cloud is, and by the way, of any virtualization scenario is wonderful. Yeah. I think that's, that's the big thing is, uh, Moving over those costs to, you know, now we're actually going to get close to this idea of a cost per transaction. But you mentioned, you know, don't let the IT people go. And, and it seems to be a lot of confusion, I think, at the management level around, hey, what are these guys going to do now that we don't have any, any computers? You know, that's not what I said. I didn't say don't let your IT people go. Let me tell you a story. I get my, I go down to the border, as I'm sure you do every year, to get my uh, work permit for the U.S. renewed. Right. And last January, I went down, and after 15 minutes of explaining to the CBP officer what a management consultant specializing in IT virtualization consultation meant, right? he looked at me and said, so let me get this straight. You want me to let you work in my country to advise foreign-owned companies how to fire American workers? Awesome. Now, first of all, that's a very dangerous question wow. to be asked in that situation. But I said to him, look, I am going down not only to consult them, but also to train their users, train their IT people. We are going to retrain those IT people. The people who are going to, who are worth being trained are going to be trained for the future, for the virtual infrastructure, for the cloud. Mm -hmm. And you know what? The people who aren't weren't going to be working in IT long anyways. Right. So we're going to help them. Uh, make the decision that now is not the right time to stay in IT. Now is the time to make that career change and either get a job in HR or, you know, open that hot dog stand or follow their dreams of whatever it's going to be. But the people who I training, 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 certifications and do it the right way. And you are going to have a job for life. And whether it's a job for life at your company or more likely you're going to be able to move on to a better position because of that training at a different company. But I think that there's so many more things for IT to do. Owning the hardware is at least the only guy I see clearly threatened 
is the exchange guy because it's getting really hard to justify running exchange in house now. Not only that, there's a guy that's really going to be in trouble. When you have a thousand servers, you have a guy who I um, anecdotally call the guy running around with a screwdriver. Right. Because the racket stacker. Exactly. <laughs> and if you have 10 of those for your thousand servers, if you're going down to five or 10 or 15 servers, you're letting go how many of those guys? You're going to need one. Yeah. So yes, if this guy is a computer guy and not an IT professional, mm-hmm. his job's at risk. It's, it needs to be retrained, work on other things. I mean, I, that's the thing that amuses me about the exchange situation. It's like, dude, running the exchange service is the most boring part of your job. Go focus on link. Like, there's all there these other go. things to do. And all of that stuff requires guys who are really smart and really dedicated and have the experience with the back end stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I never, I used to have a, a feeling that I never trusted a guy in Windows who didn't know DOS. Right, right. Well, now, the guy, would you trust your UC and link to somebody who doesn't know Exchange or Active Directory? <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah, these things are even more interconnected now than they've ever been before. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So, Mitch, what's next for you? Well, I've got a whole bunch of really interesting stuff in the pipe. I wish I could share them, but let me, let me just say that the VMware compete story for Microsoft Canada is going strong. Nice. I've, I've got a lot. I mean, I am booked solid through I don't know when, and I'm just having a blast with everything. And there are so many exciting things that I look forward to talking to you about in the next three, six, nine months. Great. I'll have to bring you back. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Rich. Thanks, Mitch. And we'll talk to you next week on Run As Radio.